the Intersection Education Podcast. Schools are the place where different institutions, services, and societal influences meet. In other words, they're at the intersection of children's lives. In the Intersection Education Podcast, we speak with insiders and outsiders of the education world to try to gain new insight and improve our schools. Hello and welcome to the Intersection Education Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Haley. Today we're speaking with Joey Fight. Joey is an elementary physical education teacher at St. George's School of Montreal in Quebec and the founder of thephysicaleducator.com. He's a young, recognized leader within the field of physical education and one of the most passionate physical educators you're likely to ever meet. His passion for teaching is perhaps only matched by his passion for sharing what he's learned about teaching phys ed with the world. With his website and his leadership around hashtag PEChat on Twitter, he's a positive force for sharing great pedagogy around the world. Now, if you like what you're hearing, connect with us, Intersection Education. You can go to our website, intersectioneducation.com, follow us on Twitter at Intersection Ed, and we're even on Facebook. And we really appreciate it when you rate us on iTunes and leave a review. Here's my conversation with Joy Fight. Joey Feith, welcome to the Intersection Education Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on. I so appreciate being able to be here and get to chat with you and connect with your audience. Absolutely. We're looking forward to having you on as well. And uh, we're going to be talking a lot about physical education. And, and you know, we've had a few guests that have spoken around this topic but it seems to me that in schools, we often get caught up in the business school or, or maybe the busyness of school and forget how physical education really benefits students. Before we get into more specifics, I want to just take a minute and maybe ask you to go over some of the major benefits that you think come out of or that come to mind when you're thinking about physical education in school. Yeah, well... Um... Okay, well, I want to preface this just just by saying that um, I'm incredibly passionate about the subject that I teach, and I'm super proud to be a physical educator, uh, but I don't see phys ed as being any greater than any other subject, be it any other specialist subject or any other quote-unquote core subject. Uh, I think that every subject is part of a child's overall development, and I think that we sh- should strive for excellence uh, regardless of the subjects that we teach. Um, so the benefits that you, you see in physical education – uh, if done well, are the same that you would see in math and language and music and art and uh, science, uh, any other subject matter. So I, I think the important thing is that we just recognize that as as teachers teaching different subjects, uh, that we're all working towards the same goal, which is just making sure that we're empowering our students to to go out and live lives full of adventure and just be able to really get to explore the world in their own unique ways. Um, that said, Phys ed is a controlled zoo <laughs> if ever you step into a gymnasium. Um, it is very different looking than other subjects. Uh, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, if you're not used to it, it can be very intimidating and seem very chaotic. And even in the best lessons, it's still pretty chaotic. Uh, but I think one of the, the beautiful things about physical education is how it brings together um, 
everything from your your core understandings to uh, the factual knowledge, but then also the the effective domain, that social interaction, that 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 well-being with self, and also the physical domain where you're actually able to go out and and perform a variety of skills and develop that competence and that confidence that we talk about when we refer to physical literacy. Uh, I think the 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 ability that we're able to see that in each and every lesson, the fact that we see that in each and every lesson, that every child gets experienced that, and again, that's that's if it's done well. I think that's one of the most beautiful things about physical education. Um, and it just has, I don't know, as, as a phys ed teacher, I, I try and use my lessons as an opportunity to get students to really connect with who they are and make sense of their place in this world and, and what they want to be able to accomplish. And I think through the, the challenges that they face, um, through the frustration that they deal with, through the, the social conflicts that they encounter all within one physical education lesson, uh, and some of that's by design, but not all of it. Um, but I think through all of that, they get to really understand who they are and then uh, take on the world uh, with uh, whole hearts and just uh, with their full selves. Mm-hmm. Now, this question relates to, to to what you were talking about, about that that excellence and you know striving for excellence in each subject and really empowering students. But it seems like phys ed can be a bit of a polarizing subject. Like a couple other subjects, I, I know math has got a little bit of this rap as well, where you have some students who absolutely love it, they can't get enough, it's the best part of their day, and then you've got some other students who really dislike it, they they kind of don't don't really love a phys ed block what do you say to to that polarization and 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 what do you think might be the answer to getting all students to really love physical education? Well, I think, you know, I'm very honest about about my profession and um, I recognize the fact that physical education is dealt with decades and decades of uh, bad practices and negative stereotypes and just really messy situations. And I, I think a lot of that has created this legacy that we have where, you know, parents will talk about their physical education experiences with their kids that weren't necessarily positive and that instills a mindset in that student who then comes into your lesson and is kind of expecting things to not go great because somebody told them things don't always go great. Mm-hmm. And right off the bat, that's a that's a challenge, right? That's a barrier as a as a physical educator that you gotta face. Now that said, uh, there's there's still, and I know this is true for every subject, but we do see it a lot in physical education. Uh, there's still a lot of bad practices that happen out there. And I don't think that it's from a place of malice. I don't think it's teachers trying to create these negative situations for their students and and embarrass their students in front of their peers and make them feel worthless in, in the way that they approach their assessments. Um, I think a lot of it comes from the fact that we don't always have a clear understanding of what high quality, effective physical education looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for a long time, uh, practices that aren't necessarily best practices have been uh, been promoted and put up on pedestals in terms of you know, schools meeting fitness test scores or uh, sports teams. Um, and we can talk all about the different hats between being a coach and being a teacher. Uh, but sports teams winning championships and that gets promoted and that gives teachers a sense of, of worth. And so they they strive for that. And in, in, in that pursuit, they wind up losing a lot of students mm-hmm. along the way. And I think, I think that's a, that's a terrible thing. And again, 
goes for every subject. All right. Teachers are in this position where we have we're in a very powerful relationship with the young people we work with, where even though we may not feel like they respect us or they they look up to us or anything that what we do in within that relationship can have a lasting impact on that child's development. And um, I think that when when you hear about these students coming into physical education class and being made to feel like they don't belong or being made to feel that they can't be successful, uh, I think I think that really, really hurts a lot of students. I think that 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 hurt carries on for a long time. I know friends my age, people who are older than me, people who are younger than me who talk about not wanting to be active or not wanting to play sports because of the negative experiences that they had in physical education when they were younger. Um, so I think that the more that we're aware of that and that we don't try to ignore it and we don't um, we don't pretend that never happened, the more that we embrace the fact that that's part of our history as physical educators, uh, I think the the sooner that we're able to move towards a place where we're able to uh, fix a lot of those solutions, uh, fix a lot of those problems. And and I think it starts off coming back to the top of this very long winded answer. <laughs> um, I think it comes back to having a really clear understanding of what high quality, effective physical education looks like. Having a clear understanding of of physical literacy and understanding our role, and it's a shared it's a shared task to to try and help a child or help a person develop their physical literacy. But understanding our role there in terms of helping that student develop all the skills, knowledge, and understandings that they need to continue to go out and develop their physical literacy throughout their lifetime and just live their absolute best lives. I want to dig into that idea of really high quality um, uh, professional development, learning, and all that kind of stuff, because that's a subject that is really close to my heart. This the, the importance of ongoing teacher professional learning and development. When you're thinking about that idea of what excellent physical education looks like, what have you learned about? about the programming? What have you learned that are the basic tenets when you're thinking about excellence in physical education and 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 perhaps highlighting some of the differences between and similarities between regular classroom instruction? So it's like if someone was to tell you what are the, 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 the basic most important values of a phys ed teacher, what would they be? And how might be they similar or different than from regular classroom instruction? One of the biggest aha moments in my life, and, and I, I have to give a shout out to my school. I work at an amazing school, uh, St. George's School of Montreal, um, that spent a lot of time investing in their teachers. And and we have a lot, a very strong internal professional development culture. Um, and as frustrating as it can feel at times, because it can be overwhelming at, at key moments of the school year, like right now when we're about to go back to school. Um, it's really done a lot in terms of helping me grow. And one of the biggest things I've learned is that good teaching is good teaching. Mm-hmm. That the principles that you see that that lead to uh, effective educational experiences in the classroom are the same that you should be able to observe in, in a physical education setting. Um, and I think that for the longest time, when I first when I first started, so just a super quick history here. When I when I launched the the physicaleducator.com, it came from a place of um, me graduating from university and not getting hired, even though I thought I was a strong candidate. I, I jumped through every hoop. I did everything I could to make sure I'd come out with a job at the end. I didn't get hired, and I was subbing. And I um I I turned to the internet to uh try and see if I could learn more about how to be a great phys ed teacher and 
part of the reason why I turned to the internet is because social media was kind of blowing up then. Uh, the other part is because I was super broke because I was just coming <laughs> out of school and I didn't have a job. And that's all I could afford. And I know that um, what limited a lot of my growth in those early days was the fact that I was just looking at phys ed specific um, research, phys ed specific findings, phys ed specific textbooks, uh, phys ed specific blogs. Uh, and, and I learned a ton. I'm not pretending that the content I found wasn't pure gold. I found a, there was so much I came across that has had a huge impact, a lasting impact on my teaching. Um, but once I started understanding that good teaching was good teaching, and I started wondering, hmm, like I wonder what effective teaching looks like in science class or in math. And I started seeing these principles that kind of come out that that are true throughout uh, across subject matters. Then you start realizing, okay, this is this is what really great teaching looks like. It doesn't matter the subject. This is what great teaching looks like. This is what teaching that leads to meaningful uh, and and deep deeper learning within students. Um, and I think that was the biggest thing. So like even right now, uh, we at my school, the approach we take to professional development is a, is a more of a, a coaching kind of approach where um, it's a lot is very driven by the teachers uh, ourselves, uh, where we get to set our own goals based off of based off of a shared vision coming down from the school. Um, and we use we use the thoughtful classroom, which is a um, a teacher evaluation framework. And when I was talking to teachers uh, across my networks, a lot of teachers were saying they were using Danielson to be evaluated. And a lot of them were really frustrated because there was like it doesn't understand physical education. It doesn't make sense to me. And I was like, no, like what's what's highlighted in that framework is good teaching. And so let's let's stop and take a look at it component by component and try and make sense of it through the lens of physical education. And I made that the whole focus of my my PE chat, which is a Twitter chat that I host and attendance has plummeted. <laughs> Participation has gone way down because I guess people are way more into talking about field days and um, and cool tech tools for phys ed uh, as opposed to the the sexiness of teacher evaluation. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we start looking at it and you start realizing, hey, a lot of this really applies. And a lot of this is these are really great ideas and they're sparking new ideas that I can that I'm developing based off my own experience teaching physical education that I'll that I know are grounded in best practices that I'll be able to bring back to my gym. Um, so I think the biggest thing there is just is just knowing that when it comes to professional learning for teachers, um, just looking outside of the the silo of physical education and trying to see what other teachers and other subjects are doing. And yeah, it is different than classroom instruction um, because our our space is different. So I think the the best thing you can do is to reach out to teachers uh, who are are recognized leaders within our field. So in terms of their their practice, so people who've won Teachers of the Year or people who are National Board certified teachers, uh, these people who are, are are educators who have adopted these practices in the context of physical education. So you'll be able to relate a lot more to to what they're doing as opposed to. Um, you know, looking through like like through math lessons or language lessons or science lessons or music lessons. I'm not saying you won't get any value there, but there's a lot of value to actually seeing it applied like in in a context that's similar to your own. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Now, you know, some schools have dedicated physical education teachers, and and many don't, and it seems like especially in in elementary schools. But you're talking about that good teaching practice, but then related to physical education. Um, I noticed mm -hmm. that the resources that you share on your site are, are really incredible. In fact, I'm, uh, it's kind of a treasure trove that I'm going to be directing a lot of teachers to. 
Um, do you have any favorite activities that when you're saying, hey, this is a great example of marrying great and excellent teaching to the physical education discipline, things where, uh, or an activity or a resource where you're saying, hey, if you're, if you're getting into this subject, if you want to take this more seriously and strive for excellence in teaching and physical education, here might be a good place to start because it's an activity that outlines many of the things that I think are important in physical education teaching. So, you know, uh, again, when I started the site, uh, a lot of a lot of the ideas I was sharing on there, I was, I was sharing them through the blog. Um, and at the same time on the website, I had this games database, which is where I would uh, I would create these PDF printouts of the different games that I played in, in physical education. And I did that. I actually created those because in university we had a project where we had to make a games binder. And I did such a horrible job on mine. I totally did it like the <laughs> night before. And and. My my teacher, who is an absolute mentor to me, Mr. Gordon Oliver, I just remember being so embarrassed handing that into him that I was like, one day I'll make this a lot better. So <laughs> I started I started making these PDFs for the website. And what I realized when I was looking at the Google Analytics is that nobody was reading my blog. Everybody's just going to the games. Um, so what I decided to do is that I was going to take these best practices that I was that I was writing about in the blog and I was going to bake them into my game video. So if you're going to the games database and you're watching a game video, it's walking you through how do I layer the game up to increase the tactical complexity so that students can experience success early on and build on that success as they go deeper in their learning. Where do I where do I put uh, fit in the assessment pieces? How do I lead the discussion questions? All of that, like I started baking that in. So when when teachers were coming to the site for the games because it's what they were coming for, uh, they were still getting that kind of like professional development piece out of that. So if if you look at the games database on the website. Um, You'll find a lot of games there that are that have those best practices baked in. Now that said, though, like I don't, there's there's a lot of like you said, there's a lot of great phys ed resources out there. Uh, and I, I, if you've never checked out openphyseed.org, so Open is a, an online free curriculum that's a public service of U.S. Games, which is a, a physical education equipment supplier. Um, but what they did is they've gone out and I was and I have to full disclosure, I was I was on the development council or I am on the development council. Um, but it was the same idea where it's like, we're going to make this free curriculum, but it's going to be grounded in best practices and it's going to have them baked in to serve as a model for teachers. And then we're going to give it away for free. And I think if you're if you're somebody who is coming from a place where you've never taught phys ed before and you're in straight up survival mode, because <laughs> if if you haven't trained for physical education and you're getting thrown into physical education and, you know, if you have a background in which you've engaged in physical activity throughout your life and that gives you confidence, great. But I know that a lot of situations teachers are going in and and they're probably the same people who hated phys ed in, in high school and they're going in for this like dislike for the subject that they're about to teach. Um, I think when you look at a tool like Open uh, uh, or if you look at the ga- games database on my site, um, what you'll see there's not only will you find activities that you'll be able to use, able to recognize best practices that you're probably familiar with. And from there, recognize like, hey, this is just like teaching. This is this is teaching, and you'll you'll be able to grow your confidence that way. But definitely check out Open; they've got amazing resources. Um, uh, the PhysicalEducator.com, obviously, uh, PlaySport, which I believe is part of Ophia, which is Ontario's Physical and Health Education Association, um, was a, a place early on where I remember I would turn to for a lot of games. And and Physical and Health Education Canada has a lot of a lot of amazing resources. I know that they're doing online webinars now that can that can help people. Um, grow their their confidence and just feel great about teaching PE. Mm-hmm. 
Hey, you touched on a subject that I want to dig into a little bit deeper with you, and that's that whole, the whole polemic, the whole discussion around uh, judging a physical education program based on the success of their extracurricular sports team and the tension that exists really between great physical education programming and then great ex, uh, extracurricular or, or team performance. Um, when you think about that tension that exists there between, you know, having a, a basketball team that wins championships and then providing excellent physical education for all students, what are the kind of things that come to your mind or what are some of the conversations that you've had when you've been talking to maybe administration or parents who, who have, uh, who have this vision that you are only as good as your best extracurricular teams. Okay, so it, anybody listening who wants to learn more about physical literacy, I'd really recommend you check out the work of Dean Krillars, um, who was uh, the first person who told me that it takes a village to raise a physically literate individual. And uh, uh, Amanda Stanek over at movelivelearn.com, who uh, talks about the pillars of physical literacy. And when I was, I used to think of myself as a physical educator as like the be all and end all of a child's development, their physical literacy. Um, and what I've come to realize is that that's not true. I'm just, I'm just one of those pillars. I'm just one of those members of the village that are going to uh, help this, this child develop again, those, those skills, that knowledge, that understanding so that they can go on and live a healthy, active life throughout their whole lifetime. So when you think of those pillars, physical education is, is the area in school that is specific to or that is specifically focused on instilling every those, those again those skills that knowledge that understanding that child needs to develop their physical literacy so that's one pillar and then you also have within a school you have um interscholastic sport or intramural sport and those are two separate pillars and then you also have um school food services if your school school has food services or school health services which is also part of uh, this physical literacy development and so what winds up happening as a physical educator is you wind up wearing a lot of hats within a school. And I'm sure if any PE teachers listening right now, they're laughing because they like, they're, they're joking at how many hats they have to wear in their school. <laughs> um, but you wind up wearing a lot of different hats and uh, that can stretch you a little thin. So what happens is that you wind up having people who wear multiple hats, but wear them all in the same way. So what I mean by that is, Okay, one of my biggest pet peeves, one of the things I hate the most seeing is seeing a phys ed curriculum that's geared towards sports seasons. Yeah. So in this season, we're competing in a handball tournament. So all my grades, all of my classes are playing handball. Next up is uh, basketball. All my grades, all my classes are doing basketball. And here's the thing. Like, I've seen those kinds of programs have an insane amount of success in terms of, like, creating truly highly competitive teams. But it's always the same 12 kids yeah. going to those tournaments. Mm -hmm. And you're teaching a lot more than 12 kids. And by doing that, by having that kind of sports-centric approach, is you're telling kids that physical literacy is about team sport. But that's garbage because when you grow up, when you're, when you're in your 30s, you're not engaging in a ton of team sports on a regular basis. Like I play, I play basketball with my brothers and – I've got a 16-month-year-old kid at home. I'm working these jobs and everything. Like, it's hard for me to be able to just make it out to the ball game. 
but I will go for a run in the morning and I'll go for a hike on the weekend. And we just got back from Nova Scotia. So I was going out paddleboarding and doing all kinds of that because it's kind of these solo activities I can go out and do when I'm able to squeeze them into my schedule. Um, and because you're, you're, the, the, you're focusing on these team sports, you're losing a lot of kids who are just like, I'm really not into sports. Like I'm not into these team sports. doesn't mean you're any less of an athlete. It doesn't mean you're any less of an athlete at all. It just means that team sports isn't part of your physical literacy journey. Each and every one of us is on our own unique journey that's going to be full of fun and challenge and 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 frustration and joy and delight and all of these things and meaning hopefully. Um, so I think that when we when we when we create these kinds of programs that are just tailored towards coaching, uh, we're doing a huge disservice to our students who don't fit into that mold. And and this is also where you see a lot of teachers slash coaches um, getting into those negative kind of behaviors that can be really damaging to young people. Because like, just get up and move to the open space, or just make that catch. Uh, having somebody, having somebody in that kind of again that powerful relationship say that to you as a young person, and that's that that marks you. You remember that. You don't forget that. Mm. Um, so I don't know. I I there's. I'm not, I, I don't ever want to come off as being anti-school sport. That's not the case. I love coaching. But when I'm a coach, it's very different than when I'm a PE teacher. And I keep those separate. And it's been a challenge. It's been a real struggle. I remember when I first got to St. G's and I was sitting with my um with my head of school. And we were talking about this. And I was talking about the approach I was taking. And coaching kept coming up in the conversation. I was like, hey, we can have another meeting about coaching. This isn't about coaching. This is about PE. And she's like, well, what's the difference? And then I explained the whole difference. And she's like, I've never heard that before, and it makes so much sense. Yeah, it does. Um, but a lot of people just associate the two. They just they see them as being intertwined and and going hand in hand. But uh, we need to create that separation. And again, it doesn't mean you get rid of either of them. It just means that you recognize that they're separate things, and and they're going to support each child in different ways. Yeah. No, I think that you've put it very eloquently there. And I think that that is a subject that comes up repeatedly at different schools and at different times. And I think, um, yeah, just educating people and talking about your perspective, I think, is the important thing there. Hey, I want to move into education a bit more generally. And and you might lead this back to phys ed, but um, is there something about learning or about education that you believe is really true but when you talk about it you get some pushback from people who kind of say no joey I, I don't actually agree with you about that i think early on in my career i used to think of uh showing up to school and getting changed out of my my slacks and whatnot and into my phys ed gear as like putting on my like superhero costume and then i would go out and i would be uh I would be Mr. Joey, the phys ed teacher. And that was a persona I would play. And I think I think part of that came too, like growing up, like working in camps and being a camp counselor. And my camp name was Zeus. And like I would, like Zeus was a character that I would play with with like young people. Um, and I think for a long time, I tried to keep who I actually am separate from who I was portraying when I was being a teacher. Uh, and I realized that that was such a wrong approach. Because what I was portraying is I was trying to portray this perfect person who said all the right things at the right time, um, who was always super happy, even though something horrible could have been happening in the background that nobody knew about, uh, who never got tired and never said no. Uh, and I and I, rec- I realized that that kind of model, that's 
that's not what being a human being is about. We're not we're not happy and uh, we're not like perfect all the time. And and I think it's really important when I'm having uh, if I'm having a tough day or a tough week that I open up to my students about that and that uh, if if I'm feeling frustrated and and we use the zones of regulation in, in my gym. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of them, but there's like a blue zone, a green zone, a yellow zone, and a red zone. I'll tell my students, I'm in the yellow zone right now. <laughs> like, I'll, like I'll say, it's like basically like I'm pissed off right now. <laughs> but like, yeah. I'm saying using the language we use in class. Um, but, you know, like opening up and just being really real with the kids. And, and another thing, too, I think um, uh, coming for, uh, when I first started teaching, I was teaching middle school. And something had happened early on when I was teaching middle school where students, there was a rumor going around that students saw me kissing one of the students at like the local pub, like in my hometown where I was teaching and everything. And it was devastating as a male teacher. That was like, like, that's like career ending right off the bat. I'm like 30 seconds into my career and this is happening. And, uh, and I got to the source of it. I met with the two uh, young guys that were kind of spreading this around and we all met with the principal and I told him I didn't want anybody getting in trouble, but this needed to be brought up and uh, and addressed properly. But I feel after that, I was very, um, I don't want to say against, but I was very cautious of making contact with students in any way, like to the point where I was, was, wasn't even giving high fives or anything like that. Right. And, uh, and I remember, I'm and sorry, this is getting really dark really fast here. I remember when Sandy Hook happened and I was hearing stories of teachers hiding their kids on toilet seats uh, in stalls. And saying I love you to them um, because they just wanted to make sure that that kid heard that bef- in case anything happened. And I just remember hearing that and being like, I don't ever want to go another day in my career without saying I love you to my students if if it's in the right context or giving my students a hug or holding them if they're crying. And, and again, like as a male teacher in an elementary school, and it's especially as a phys ed teacher coming with all these stereotypes and everything, uh, it's something I have to be careful about and worry about. And, and you know, like I see my female counterparts who are incredible educators holding students, doing all kinds of stuff. Like everything's everything's great and it flies. But like people be like, oh, you gave that student a hug. Isn't that like, no, I'm sorry. I'm never not letting a kid know that I care about them or that I love them. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say that people hardcore disagree with me on that or like are really against it. But the thing is, I'm. I'm always going to let them know who I really am, what my real intentions are. And I'm always going to let them know that I care about them. Um, I'm never going to hold back on that because sometimes, you know what, sometimes too, like, and I worked in a, I work in a privileged school. Sometimes you might be the only person that kid's life who's letting them feel that way. Yeah. That's a great reminder, a great reminder and a good vision. I think, Hey, I'm interested in learning environments and you've got a particular uh, perspective that I think is really interesting because the learning environment in a gym looks different than perhaps a classroom, but there are elements that tie both together that create or, or enable really, really powerful learning. When you think about the elements of learning, the environment that we create to learn, what do you think are the base elements that that go past, you know, the differences between a gymnasium and a classroom? What do you think the most important bits are for learning to take place regardless of the physical space? I can't remember who told me this once, but it's it's always stuck with me where uh, your your classroom, the environment itself, and more importantly, the culture within that that space uh, acts as an extra teacher in the cl- in the room. 
Um, so your your classroom environment, your class culture, uh, is what's helping guide your students' decisions and actions when you're not when you're not there. Uh, so I think there's that says a lot in terms of the importance that we have to put on um, developing a a strong class culture and developing a, an environment that promotes learning. I think one of the things that uh, I've done later on in my career here is is make it very explicit that when you step into my classroom, that just so happens to be a gym. Uh, when you step into my classroom, this is a place uh, for learning. And learning is going to look different depending on who you are and how you like to learn. And learning might go fast for some and slow for others, and that's okay. But what's important is that we all know that we're there to learn. And so we've done activities in class in order to to promote that. So everything from uh, an idea I got from from Terry Drain, who's a, a teacher. She's from BC, but she lives in California. She's on the Shape America Board of Directors. Uh, just an incredible, like, hands down, the, the best presenter I've ever seen. Every time I've seen her present, she's just been out of this world. Uh, but Terry introduced me to this idea of the habits of successful learners, which is at the start of her year, she would unpack what good learning looks like with her students. So they would have to come up with different different habits that good, that successful learners use in order to be to to learn in class. And so I did that activity with my students across all all the grades that I teach. Wrote them all down and then made graphics out of their answers. And we made this big habits of successful learners mural uh, that lives in the gym. And whenever we're um, experiencing uh, something that's more challenging or frustrating or difficult in class, we'll take a break from the activity, go to the mural, and we'll talk about what habits could we be using right now that are going to help us overcome this challenge. Uh, so that having doing that kind of activity uh, has done a lot. Um, one of my mentors, Mr. Larry McDonald, taught me about the power of the word yet, uh, it being the most powerful word in the English vocabulary, because you should never say, I can't do this. You should always say, I can't do this yet. Or I don't know that yet. So in class, we have um, our Yeti poster, which reminds us to always be Yetis in class, which is to always add the word yet in a statement where we're talking poorly about ourselves. And we have these, I have these little, my, when my school saw me make that poster, they made me these little Yeti pins and they gave me like a bag of like 500 pins. And I've had them for five years. And I think I've maybe given out like a dozen because I never give them out in, unless I see something where a kid's really being Yeti. And holy smokes, you'd think I'm giving them like the most prestigious award in the world <laughs> when I'm putting that pin on them. Um, but be, because I want them to know that what I'm celebrating here isn't necessarily their, their success in the activity, but their success as a learner, somebody who's refusing to give up just because something's challenging and difficult. Um, and I think and this is this is this kind of thinking has, has changed a lot in terms of going through all the dif different teacher evaluation frameworks and and prepping for the season of picha but i think a big part of it is in classes where you where you really feel the second you walk in that learning's at the forefront of everything that's happening are classes where a lot of the onus has been put on the students mm -hmm. where that that power has been transferred over to the students so that if I'm over in this half of the gym in, in my grade one lesson, and I have students on this on the other half of the gym practicing their foot dribbling, and they're dribbling and they're saying, "I can't do this yet. I can't do this yet." Or if I have students who are getting frustrated with jump rope and they're going over to a fellow student and the student themselves, without teacher prompting or anything, saying, "Well, how can we break this down? 
if they're using that kind of language and they're talking to each other in that way, that's that's a that's a clear sign that the culture itself has like seeped into the, the these young minds and that and that has empowered them to be the best learners that they can be. So, I definitely think making learning explicit, talking about the learning process, or creating uh, visuals that are going to support that process and serve as reminders, and then always striving to work towards in not being the only teacher in the room empowering every student in that room to be a teacher with you yeah no i love those let's get into a couple uh shorter answers uh maybe some recommendations you know uh the first one is do you have a favorite app or website or other media that you use often and uh, of course you can't use your own the physical educator.com <laughs> uh, that's a little bit cheating but any any apps websites or you know films or something like that you're really liking right now Okay, so I, I came to the realization that my brain is really stupid and that if I put if I put too much demand on my brain or if I expect too much of my brain, it's going to fail me and then I'm just going to feel frustrated and we're all going to be frustrated because one body. Um, so what I realized is that I needed to create like an external system that would serve like as a second brain. So the tools that I use in that system are I, I use an app called Things and you don't have to use Things. It's things is 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 expensive and it doesn't need to be but it is a great app but that's my my project and and to-do list manager and it's i'm afraid of saying this because all my devices are going to go off right now but it's as simple as me saying like hey siri remind me on tuesday to talk to the principal about this and then it's just logged in and then i get the notification on tuesday so that's a really good class manager um i use evernote for everything and only because i i know a lot of teachers use google keep in the same way but it's just a place where i like throw if i hold any kind of piece of paper if i have anything in my head that's that i'm like I should probably remember this. Or I might need to refer to it later. I automatically put in Evernote. And what's nice with Evernote is it has, um, I guess this isn't new technology anymore, but like it has OCR, so uh, um, optical character recognition. So it can read text and images. So if I just take a picture of a document and let's say the document was like meeting agenda and I search meeting agenda, it will pull up the picture right away so I can access documents really quickly. Um, so I'm giving all kinds of stuff here, but... Um, Workflowy is an app that I use for outlining and it's just a great way for like reflection in terms of like it's basically like a mind mapper like like mind note or something like that um but it just has a really clean interface and allows it, for me if I want to use it it allows me to push myself deeper into my learning and um pocket if you're not using pocket or or instapaper or something similar to that um I find like you get such overwhelm information overwhelm being on social media and you miss out on things. So whenever I see somebody sharing an article that looks interesting or a piece of research that I'd like to look into, I just save it to Pocket. And on on Sundays, I try to I try to get through my Pocket list um, or at least part of it because it's pretty swamped. So yeah. So the big thing is just using apps as that like second brain, so your real brain can just do what it's built to do. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that that approach to using the technology to supplement the 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 kind of good work you do. Let's get on to the next one. Do you have any book recommendations for people? Um something that you really liked or you think that other people should read? Yeah, so historically I've always told people that if you haven't read The Alchemist or The Little Prince, you should. And even if you read The Little Prince when you were younger, you should read it again because it'll teach you everything you need to know about um just how to be a loving person. Uh, but I just, uh, so I had a tough year last year. Um, I, I, I put myself in a position where I, I truly, uh, burnt out. I had nothing left and it took, uh, the summer off 
um, to really focus on healing. And it's funny sometimes how like the universe just like throws something on your lap right when you need it. Um, and I read a book called Let Your Life Speak, uh, Listening for the Voice of Vocation by Parker J. Palmer, who wrote The Courage to Teach, which I know is a book that a lot of teachers have read. Mm-hmm. It's a really tiny book. I'm holding it right now. I just bought a physical copy of it this morning. Um, it's like 110 pages long. It's tiny. Uh, and it was one of those books where as I was reading it, I, I couldn't stop highlighting and I had to keep putting it down and just think. And there was a lot of cry sessions in there. Um, but I think it's just this beautiful book that's about understanding what vocation is, which is the intersection between who you are as a human being and how you can best serve the world. And just really getting to a place where you have a clear understanding of that and and just um, do your best work. So Let Your Life Speak by Parker Palmer. I was at conferences this summer and before every session, I'd just shout it out and be like, hey, if you guys are looking for a book to read this summer, you should read this. So that's the one I'm going to recommend here. Awesome. I'll, uh, I'll look at that one too. You, you teach physical education, but we know that it's also about health. So what's something that you do every day or most days that, that you feel really keeps you well and healthy and be able to be your best self? I, I have a, I've blogged about this before and hosted a webinar on, on, on teacher well-being and all the things that I, that I strive to do, which are like, I'll meditate. I'm actually doing this awesome uh, mantra meditation uh, course through an app called Oak right now. Uh, but meditation has helped me a lot. Uh, journaling. Um, obviously, I, I use an app called Day One and just wonderful the way that I can go back and read it, especially now with a kid. Uh, getting back and seeing how much my son has grown um, over the last 16 months is just wild. Um, and, and obviously, as a physical education teacher, I have to say, like, exercise. There's nothing that makes me feel better. Even though I can dread it, even though I can hate it, I'll be like, oh, I don't want to go for a run today. Like, 12 seconds into the run, you're feeling fantastic. And you're just happier out there. But to be honest, the, the one thing I do every day, because, like, those things, I, I say I do those things, and I do them. But I'm not super consistent with them. And I feel like in the past, I failed to let people know that I'm not super consistent. Because, like, um, I feel like people get down on themselves where I'm like, I'm not maintaining the streak or I'm not as perfect as I want to be. Don't you're not supposed to be perfect. You're just supposed to be human. Um, so don't worry about that. But the one thing I know I do every day, no matter what is make time for my family that no matter what, if, if my son's goofing around in the house and I'm like, I should take him to the park. I take him to the park. Yeah. Or if my wife is watching bachelor in paradise and I have some time to watch, I watch, I watch a show with my wife. Um, or if my brother wants to grab coffee, I go grab coffee with my brother. I think I think putting family first. And, and when I mentioned journaling before, I always write down my, my three values. So family, health, education. Um, and I write those down every day so that they're in the front of my mind when I'm making decisions and taking actions throughout the day. Um, but putting family first, making sure that I'm, I'm caring for my family, making sure I'm spending time with my family. Uh, there was just – I saw somebody sharing – an article is based on some research where they interviewed people in their 90s and asking them what they wish if they could go back, what they would change. And I think like all of them said, I just wish I'd spent more time with family and friends. None of them talked about, I wish I'd answered more email or I wish I'd, I'd grown the site to reach more people every year. Everybody's just family and friends. So I think, I think that's the one thing I do every day that I know that last year when I was, when I was having that tough year, I know that's definitely what got me through it was, was making time for my family. Yeah. Uh, good one. 
Lastly, is there an organization or a person who really inspires you? And it could be short term or it could be long term, someone that you've looked at or uh, an organization you've looked at for a while. Everything I've ever achieved in my life, I've done because I've stood on the shoulders of giants. And that includes uh, both individuals and organizations. Um, when I when I think about uh, when I when I look at so when I look at the work that like U.S. Games has done with Open and I know Aaron Hart, who's the man who founded Open, um, and I know that he's doing everything he's doing for the right reasons. Uh, that I find is inspiring. When I when I find organizations that are very mission uh, centric, and and who have a really clear sense of purpose and communicate that sense of purpose really well, uh, I find that really really inspiring because it gives me the courage then to go out and and be clear about my mission and and be purposeful in, in everything I do. Um, when I think about people who inspire me, um, my brother James and uh, my so my brother is not a certified teacher, but somehow he's been teaching more years than I have. <laughs> and uh, he's just one of those people who uh, is just like um, an endless source of just kindness and and hard work and inspiration. And the work he does with his students, like, you should have seen he last year, his students came to him and was like, Hey, we wrote a script for like a, like a fan fiction kind of Harry Potter movie. And James read it and it was like this tiny little thing. And he's like, this is great. We should make it into a movie. And next thing I know, he's showing me clips of like, and he taught himself all this stuff. He's showing me clips of like kids, like appearing, like in clouds of mist and like full on like wand battles. And like, he's got like kids, like manning the camera and holding the boom mics and doing all this like full on like Hollywood production stuff. In all of his spare time, because he has none, he's got a kid who's six months younger than mine, so I know he's busy, um, but just always makes the time for his students and for other people around him. And I think uh, seeing that, even though for a long time I chased trying to be him, um, even though I know that's that I just got to be me uh, and not try and be anything but me, um, but it is very inspiring in the sense that uh, I just see the work that he does and I just think it's amazing. And I just, it makes me want to go out and do uh, amazing work as well. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, what's next for you? Uh, I know that, uh, you've got a, a couple irons in the fire. What are some of the questions, problems, things that we can look forward to seeing from you in the next, um, next little bit? Yeah, my, my focus right now. So, um, so with teaching, you know, I'm, I'm, one of my biggest focuses on teaching this year is <clears throat> I, have, I have two main ones. How can I bring the whole school community together around health? And um, how can I continue to make my physical education program more meaningful to my students? And I've, I've, I've connected with people and I've tapped into resources that are going to help me with both. Um, but in terms of teaching, those are the two program. Those are the two goals I've really outlined for myself outside of teaching. I'm thinking the next chapter of my career is is I, I want to get into pedagogical coaching and really taking a, um, a human approach to to getting to know teachers, understanding them and and helping them elevate their practice. And I guess what I'm what I'm what I'm most curious about right now is, you know, I hear especially with this focus, this P, season of PeaChat focusing on the Danielson framework, so much pushback. I'm feeling so much pushback from teachers in regards to uh, quote unquote evaluation and teacher assessment. And I'm wondering how do we get to a place where uh, where teachers feel empowered by that process rather than put down by it? Mm -hmm. um, 
And that's that's one thing I'm really going to be looking into this year in terms of how can because I think that developing that skill set can just put me in a position where I can best serve teachers and ultimately with everything I do um, through thephysicaleducator.com that's that's my goal right so that's that's the big thing I'm interested in there I'm feeling pretty confident about the teaching piece because I've been chasing this down for a while here um, but that next piece that that pedagogical coaching piece that's something I'm I'm really passionate about and that I'm 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 excited about feeling brand new to it and and I'm just looking forward to learn a lot. Yeah. No, that sounds really really good. I love that whole positive approach to it. So let's say people do want to connect with you. Um maybe uh, share some of the best ways that they can follow along on this journey or maybe even uh, look at some of the resources that you've created. Yeah, so honestly the the best way to connect with me is um through the website through so the physicaleducator.com and once you're there, you can sign up for the newsletter and you can find me on social media. I'm most active on Twitter. So Twitter is where I, is where I live on the Internet. Um, but I'm also on Facebook and <clears throat> and YouTube and and just exploring different platforms as well. Uh, so the physical So on Twitter, um, uh, I, I'm on Twitter. I have a personal account. So at Joey fight. So uh, J-O-E-Y-F-E-I-T-H. And uh, the website's account is uh, phys, so P-H-Y-S underscore educator. Uh, so those are the probably the best ways to connect with me. Um, I apologize in advance to anybody who tries to contact me and I take a while to get back to you. I'm just <laughs> always swamped. So, and I try to prioritize ruthlessly. So, <laughs> um, But I do get back to everybody a while to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's th- those are the best places to, for you to learn about my work. Sounds uh, sounds really good. I want to thank you so much for giving up a little bit of your busy time before we get back to school to speak with us and to share some of the um, really great learning that you've done. Uh, can't thank you enough. So thank you so much, Joy. Hey, I'm the one who's thanking you. This was this was such a nice conversation, and I so appreciate the opportunity. And thank you for everything you're doing for for the world of education. And I'm just looking forward to seeing this this podcast grow and hearing other uh, awesome guests. All right. All right. We'll talk to you soon, Joy. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Intersection Education Podcast. Just a reminder that you can connect with us on our website, intersectioneducation.com, on Twitter, intersectioned, or leave a review on iTunes. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next time.